Hi everyone, this is Michael. As you probably know, late last year, we rebranded ourselves as the In Common Podcast and began an association with the International Association for the Study of the Commons, or IASC. As a part of this new relationship, we are happy to host a series of episodes collectively produced by the IASC's Early Career Network, or ECN. This is a relatively recently formed and dynamic group of over 100 diverse early career researchers and practitioners from across the globe who are engaged in building an exciting collective around the commons together. This series will be known as Navigating Interdisciplinarity, reflecting one of the core themes of work on the commons, and is produced by the ECN's working group of the same name. Early career networks are particularly important in academia with career paths that can feel in turn isolating and precarious. I count myself lucky to have been a part of a similar early career network known as the Resilience Alliance Young Scholars, or RAIS. These groups enable scholars to form connections and share ideas that continue to motivate us as we face the more and less predictable challenges of an academic career. There will be six episodes in total, after which the ECN crew will be exploring the next steps. Of course, we will be sure to keep you updated as they proceed. This current series will be hosted by Hitahuni Krishnan, Maria Gerales, Dane Whitaker, and Nusrat Mola. We hope you enjoy the series. Thank you, Michael. Welcome all to the Navigating Interdisciplinarity podcast series brought to you by the IASC ECN, the Early Career Network of the International Association for the Study of the Commons. I'm Hita Unnikrishnan, and I can usually be found wandering through the many lakes in Bangalore in India for my Newton International Fellowship at the University of Sheffield and my visiting faculty position at Azim Premji University in Bangalore. I am Maria Geroulis. I'm an agricultural economist wandering around breeding nurseries and wheat fields. I'm a doctoral candidate at the University of Bonn at the Chair of Economic and Agricultural Policy. people ask me what kind of a scholar I am, I'm usually very confused. I think it's probably because I'm pretty much used to doing one of two things. I either straddle multiple disciplines with each project that I take, or I engage with anything that I find interesting without an explicit strategy of niche forming in place. At any rate, I still do not know what to call myself. Well, likewise, I can say that I always feel a little bit like I'm underselling myself if I say I'm an economist because it doesn't really represent very well the other disciplinary skills and knowledge, right, that I have now. So I try accommodating for that by calling myself an agricultural economist. I'm so glad I'm not alone. It is because of these conversations within our working group that this podcast series has come about on navigating interdisciplinarity. This podcast is more of a roundtable with invited guests from different career stages and who identify as being interdisciplinary scholars or practitioners. To join us in facilitating these discussions, we have Dane Whitaker from Arizona State University, who will now take over and introduce our guests to you. Thank you for joining us today. This is the first episode of the Navigating Interdisciplinarity podcast, where we'll be discussing strategic career decisions of interdisciplinary scientists. I'm Dean Whitaker, a PhD student at the School of Sustainability at Arizona State University, and I have the privilege to be joined today by Svenja Hippel, a postdoctoral researcher at the University of 
Wurzberg at the Chair of Contract Theory and Information Economics, and Juan Nicolas Hernandez, uh, Nico, who is at an Earth Institute Postdoctoral Research Fellow at Columbia University. Welcome, y'all. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, today we're going to be talking about strategic career decisions of interdisciplinary scientists. But before we jump into that, I want to ask you, how do you describe the research you do and how do you describe yourself as a scholar? Svenja, why don't you start? I describe myself as a behavioral economist, I would say, that is doing laboratory experiments on experimental economists that works intra as well as interdisciplinary. So first of all, although I am doing experiments and empirical work, I'm at a chair where the professor is a theorist. So I'm working there like interdisciplinary, which is not that easy. And on the other hand, my projects are usually concerned with law topics. So I'm working together with lawyers. So in this case, I'm working interdisciplinary in all my projects. I would in a nutshell describe me as an economist that takes lawyers and their arguments and their problems very serious. Cool, and how about you, Nico? Well, I describe myself like a learner. I'm an applied economics field and I have a strong interest in make a connection of my research with, uh, you know, applied things having, I don't know if an impact, but at least some kind of connection uh, with the ground and uh, especially motivated by my home uh, country, Colombia, and the challenges that you usually f uh, find in rural areas of countries like Colombia or similar countries around the world. Super cool. And so maybe, um... Nico, could you tell us maybe a bit more about one of your projects and use that to describe what interdisciplinarity means to you? Well, yeah, sure. So I think that I can start with my most recent research. I currently, I'm working at the International Research Institute for Climate and Society. I'm part of a project that is called Act Today, and this is part of the Columbia World Projects. This is an idea of the president of the university that tried to connect in a better way what is done, you know, in academic terms and in papers with what is happening on the ground and on the field. So the main purpose of this Act Today program is to focus on the climate challenge that people is facing right now, like today. A lot of people speak a lot about climate change and what is happening, but the risk is in front of us. So how to navigate that world, how to uh, support the efforts of many local institutions and local knowledge to facilitate climate risk management. So specifically, I'm part of the financial instrument sector team. And in, in this team, uh, we try to offer different kinds of instruments like index insurance to facilitate risk management. But in order to improve the design of these kind of instruments, you really need to have a clear understanding of what is happening on the field and the best way to collect, for instance, historical climate information. So we are trying to use innovative ways, games, or things like that to collect information. So you can imagine this requires not only economists, but climate scientists and people with different backgrounds and remote sensing and other fields. So for me, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's the kind of work that I like to do, you know, like learn from other people. I think that it makes me more interesting than just discussing with economists around you, but having people from other fields critique in a positive way and in a constructive way what you are doing and what you want to achieve, you know. I like that, that you say that, just 
said that. <laughs> I also I have to pick up here what Sonia said before. Um, as you said, like you're you you see yourself as an economist who listens to lawyers and like takes their problems serious. I I love that when you said that. Can you elaborate a little bit more on how what that means for you? Like how what does that mean as an economist taking a lawyer serious? Lawyers and economists have very different ways of thinking about problems. And also because they like they come from a different direction, right? So lawyers very often either they have a law or they want to make a law and they have some ideas how to get there, but their way is completely like to think about it is completely different and very often it's not empirical. Although they raise questions that sound as if it completely makes sense to you after talking for half an hour about it, you will figure out, but it's not what they, it's, it's not the same thing, what you thought that they would mean. So the first thing what I would say is about taking lawyers or like any other researcher serious is to find a common language and to find a common approach how to talk about stuff. Because usually you look from different angles at a problem and it's really hard to get to a point where it's really fruitful to talk to each other or like you see the connection, but it's really hard to get at like the very point of it. I think for an interdisciplinary project, The first weeks you're only spending finding a common language about like talking about the stuff. I think that's the start and like what you need to set, find a common ground to start from. Thanks, Sonia. I mean, that's also very interesting. I also liked what you picked up earlier on about intra and interdisciplinary sort of things. And Nico, I think that's something that you also alluded to in a certain sense where you mentioned that while you are an applied economist, you also like to look at it from other perspectives, not just from within economics, but also outside of it. So I was just trying to understand, Sonia, maybe I'll start with you, but what you meant when you said intra disciplinary interdisciplinarity or let me just phrase it that way I mean that would be wonderful to hear I think that like interdisciplinary uh, or interdisciplinary communication is hard but even if I talk to a theorist about like stuff I want to investigate in the lab the way he's thinking about is completely different than my way of thinking about it because I'm thinking I design a project to together with a theorist I think about what will the subjects do how will they perceive the situation stuff like this um, will it really convey what I want them to think about how the situation is I bring them in in the lab a theorist is oh this should be incentive compatible and if someone has this and this bias it should be not incentive compatible and then there's he makes some choice mistakes so it's a completely a, a very technical way of thinking about it obviously always like game theory and micro theory stuff is underlying our experiments but there's an additional layer on it that it's not easy to get for theorists. And of course, the other way around, for me, there's a lot of stuff in theory I don't really get until they explain it to me in like in a very long and detailed uh, manner. For example, I had a meeting this week with my, my professor and he was like, I have this idea. We just like, I saw this paper, we do it just the exact same way, use two lotteries and then we increase this one payoff and then it should work. This is what like the theory says. And I was like, really, you think? I mean, we talked about it for half an hour. It's like, you can't do it like this. You can't do this like this. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. And he was like, hmm, that's, mm, that looks more complicated. And I thought it was like, I mean, it's an experimental project. What are you doing? What are you thinking? Experiment, like, I mean, experimental economists are doing. I like, 
have another project every half an hour because I just do what other people did before and it's fine. I just change one small thing. That's not the how it like the way it works. So like a theorist doesn't have maybe the, the details not in mind that are important for how to set up an experiment. So this is a story, for example, where you see that even like here, it although we are both microeconomists, communication is hard. And then of, obviously, if you go to another discipline, this doesn't make it easier. I guess I'm going to ask a question to you, Nico, based on this. And I think both Svenja and you, Nico, have talked about like the importance of collaboration and collaboration and these types of projects. And Nico, you have a recent article that you collaborated on with the group of other postdocs at Columbia called Support Supporting Interdisciplinary Careers in Sustainability, where you ask this question of do current career paths and structures incentivize and facilitate re the required uh, collaboration? So I guess maybe could you talk about that a little bit? What did you find? Do they? I'd love to hear what you found. Sure, sure. And, but I would like to answer that question connecting with what we have been discussing uh, and, and hit a question about intra and interdisciplinarity. But also I would like to start with someone that um, something that is Benja mentioned about the, the challenge of generate this common language. I think that that's definitely a critical component. And this common language is not only about technicalities, but also the different dynamics that disciplines have to collaborate. You know, it's not the same, the, the approach, the way as they approach the problems, even the all the schools, all the disciplines have their own dynamics uh, and it's reflected in seminars, in the way as they approach problems. So I think that when you are thinking to, to start these initiatives, you really need to be very open to this kind of dynamics and, and in the process of building this uh, common ground and understanding space. Uh, and yes, this article was a really nice experience to prove that actually, because uh, it was written by a, a group of our institute postdocs, uh, we all from different fields, but we try to create this space where we reflect actually what are the possibilities to advance our research uh, with this spirit of uh, interdisciplinarity or intradisciplinarity or multidisciplinarity. And actually as part of this writing process, we the, the first a challenge that we faced was like these definitions, you know, how we classify. And I think that we can spend a lot of time trying to classify ourselves on these kind of, uh, you know, sets or, or definitions. But at the end of the story, what I think that is important is that academia should value all kinds of approaches. So I think that is very important. Uh, and I think that the recent events that we faced like COVID-19 proved that you need scientists really focused on producing the vaccine. You know, they don't need any distraction. They really need to go to the mRNA and try to move forward with the vaccine. But probably other researchers need to understand what is the best way to make accessible that vaccine in, in a specific communities, right? And it probably not required only collaboration among scientists in, the, in, this, in a university, but collaboration outside the universities and with people that is not necessarily connected with the academia and the academic world. Unfortunately, what you see is that still there is a strong bias for uh, disciplinary approaches and not necessarily these attempts to connect with uh, people outside 
are recognized, you know, are, are part of the portfolio that is valuable when you are, for instance, applying for a job, right? The first thing that you are evaluated is uh, your number of publications and like the typical metrics and the typical standards. So we start to reflect, okay, you know, people, it's, and, and you find a lot of literature that proves that interdisciplinary and collaboration is important to face the challenge that we face in terms of sustainability, but the narrative is going in one direction and the incentives and the real uh, opportunities to move this kind of uh, work in the universities not necessarily is going on that path. It's not that there are not opportunities. Actually, you know, I'm a fellow for their institute and I produce this paper, we produce this paper based on these kind of opportunities, but definitely we need more and we need more substantial steps to move forward. Yeah, so you're both postdoctoral researchers right now, um, or fellows, so you've either recently been on or will be soon on or currently are on the job market. Um, so you, you have a kind of an intimate knowledge of the job market right now. So I guess what role has these collaborative projects that you've worked on played in your job search? And have you found ways that they're more accepted or less accepted or do people see them as a strength or a drawback? Where, how does kind of your background in collaborative projects and in interdisciplinary research play into the job search? It also depends on how you frame it, like what you've done also in your studies before. And I always try to, what I find, like I found to be successful for myself so far is I'm an economist who also does interdisciplinary work. But the most important part is that economists still take you serious because they are very, you know, sometimes complicated crowd that needs to believe that you're, you know, the methods well. I mean, it's not, economics is not so much about the topics you're doing, but the methods that you're using them correctly. And during my PhD, always, although we were an interdisciplinary group, there was always this, if the director introduced us to a guest, it was always, this is Svenja, she's an economist by training. And that's important. So to state where you come from and that you're an economist and you know the methods and you're, you know, you're rigorous in using them, but your topics are interdisciplinary. And that worked very well for me. This is also the way I always try to frame it if, for an application. So I'm an economist. I know all the stuff that I need to know, but the topics I'm working on, they're connected to law and to the lawyers. And that worked very well. And I, obviously that very much also depends on the country you're in. I guess the US, especially in law and economics is much more with law and law schools much further than, than Germany is. But because I focus on Germany as a country because I wanted to say in Germany, this is, was my way of flying. And that actually seems to work pretty well. Yeah, well, I agree with you, Svenja, that definitely having a strong methods is what you, allows you to incorporate to a team, you know, provide your insights. And something that at, at some point happens to me is that, to be honest with you, at some point I was really, I, I was not working well with economics. I was like really on top of all of these things and all of these discussions on, on and probably in environments that are not healthy to intellectually and, and, and personal aspects, you know. But I start to fall in love again with my tools and with my background once I incorporate to interdisciplinary teams because I understood that I have something to contribute to that big picture, right? So I think that this is a good way to solve yourself. Like 
I have the tools, I have the strong background, but in order to that, my plus is that I can talk with someone outside my uh, comfort area or the, or the, the typical people that is around the economist or, or the field that you are specialized. But uh, I think that to be honest, this job market process is something that is very personal. And as everything, you know, you, you have, of course, recipes for everything. Oh, you need to apply to 400, 500 jobs. And I remember that day when I was at the end of my PhD, my, 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 the people in my cohort was like literally applying to hundreds of jobs. But I don't know. I think that is a very personal question is what you want to do uh, and also feel good what what options you like. You know, I, I'm very conscious that when I'm an applied economics, actually in, in Cornell, you have applied economics and economics, you know? And to be honest, sometimes entering into some classes, you feel some kind of, oh, but you are applied. Oh, but you know, it's like, <laughs> and yeah, I'm applied and I'm fine with that. And I'm happy with that overall, right? So I think that is, is a, that's the reason I say it's a very personal question. You really need to be enjoying what you are doing, even if it's not validated by the traditional metrics or the traditional schools. But, but I, I, I like your point, definitely, Esmenja, of, of you need to, to, to highlight your strengths and, 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 and show it. And, and that's, that's uh, having uh, interdisciplinary teams or multidisciplinary or, or all of this definition is the perfect setting to do it. Awesome. Hita, did you want to ask something? Yeah, I really liked what you just said about how you frame what you do and how you sort of, because this is something that I've constantly been struggling with. I'm a trained biologist, but it doesn't really help me in the work that I do. But I'm not a trained ecologist, so I cannot call myself that. I'm not a trained geographer, so I cannot call myself that. But I use all of these things in my work. So I really like that. But the question that I was trying to come at is more along the lines of, Nico, you were just talking about the fact that you look at interdisciplinarity or your practice of interdisciplinarity as what you can potentially contribute to interdisciplinary teams, which brings to my mind the fact that there might be two different ways of doing interdisciplinary research. One where, which is kind of the route where I've taken, which is sort of learn anything that you can and apply it to your work, answer a particular question, try to figure out which discipline answers that question, and then sort of apply those tools and techniques, which is one way. The other way, of course, is what you mentioned. What are the skill sets that, you know, you bring to a collaborative interdisciplinary team and therefore how do you do interdisciplinary research? So I was just wondering if both of you could sort of reflect a little bit about this distinction and what that really means from the perspective of an early career researcher who's working in time-bound contexts, but be also looking at job markets and so on. You know, we I think that diversity applies not only in terms of race, but also in terms of how you how you think and how you uh, learn. And I think that it's, it's a very unique process for each person. And, and there is people that can work in any kind of job or topic and they are super successful on doing that while others need to specialize more. So I, 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 I think that academia should appreciate that diversity. Now that we mentioned diversity in many fields, we, we should embrace diversity also in the way as we think, right? And, and uh, but sadly it's not happening. You, you only see, as, as I uh, was mentioning before, 
that there is some kind of bias on, or, or it's like academia is saying, yeah, multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary is great, but good luck with that. You know, <laughs> it's like how you, how you generate those instruments. Sometimes they don't validate when you reach to the industry. And for me, for instance, in my, in my, in my, in my job with coffee farmers, uh, having a connection with the coffee industry and with the cooperative of farmers was critical. And it was, I, I learned more having this kind of contact that sometimes in a classroom, right? And it doesn't mean that the classroom, it doesn't give me the elements to advance on my research, but, but probably I don't receive credits for my efforts to reach those communities, right? And, 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 and that's the other point that interdisciplinary work is very time consuming. So it's a risky uh, job in some way, right? Because building this common language and building this common uh, uh, background or not background but at least common initiatives takes time and 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 yeah i think that that's that's what i what i think about that diversity of of ways to approach so i think that is not a unique way to do it in principle i think nico is totally it's totally correct what he is saying that also uh, academia is not appreciating especially this way that you really use multiple methods from multiple disciplines and what you said about yourself that yeah you know you're using this but you're actually not using you're not really a trained ecologist like stuff like this I was always advised, and I mean, that's really just a personal thing. So because I had an economist training, and although I worked in an interdisciplinary group of lawyers, I always was told not to frame myself as a, someone who's doing law and economics, like as an interdisciplinary you know, researcher. But I always was told to frame myself as an economist who works with lawyers. And the reason was that Law and economics is an own discipline in some sense, because there are people that really do law and economics, but uh, very often they're either trained economists, but never really talk to a lawyer and only have vague ideas about what is relevant for them, or they are, are lawyers, but never had the training as an economist. And although they're using these methods, what comes out of this is very often like papers where you think, I don't know, where does this belong? So it's more like a style of writing that economists don't appreciate at all because it's somewhere in between law and economics. And I was totally advised from the beginning that I shouldn't do this, that I should do projects with lawyers and also, also write them up um, as economist papers and not to like focus on this very narrow interdisciplinary area because it's very jobs are very, really rare there it was always the advice I got so I got the advice not to frame myself as this not to go for the journals in this interdisciplinary area as my first choice and also not to stay too long in an interdisciplinary group. My director at the Institute, he was a lawyer. And although he's doing um, experiments for 20 years, he was like, don't stay too long with me. Otherwise, you know, you're kind of burned for the economists. And that just makes your like job chances too small in Germany because there are not enough institutes and universities doing this. So that was really the advice I got and I followed it and that's what happened. <laughs> um, it's not that, I think for this, for this special case, for me, it was the correct advice. I would do it again like this, but obviously that doesn't translate to other contexts and also doesn't translate to other maybe uh, larger universities where you have like more interdisciplinary co cooperation going on from the beginning. 
Oh, this is so frustrating to hear because on the one hand, you're hearing like, okay, interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary, transdisciplinary, this is where, this is what we need to do to solve these problems. And then you're hearing, but if you're trying to get a job or like you're trying to get promotion or tenure, there maybe like this isn't the way to do it. And so like focus on publishing in the right places and getting the grants and the teaching experience and the, the conference talks and stuff like that. So I guess, is that what's holding us back? Is it the, the performance evaluation or is there something else? I think that, yeah, you are right. In some ways, like very disappointing, you know, but at the same time, I think that there are good initiatives and transformations that are happening as low, but are happening because this discussion is not new. There is a lot of literature that report the need for the appreciation of this kind of research. And to be honest, we need to survive. We need jobs, right? We need to... To, to find that match. Sometimes in going back to this job market strategy, what you do is to adapt in some way. You really test the waters and see, okay, what is the environment here, you know? And how appreciative are they of this or X approach? But this should be something more clear and systematic. And, and that's why uh, we, for instance, think that we don't need always to look for the validation of uh, disciplinary schools for interdisciplinary research. So just to give you a concrete example, many times you have these affiliations or dual positions. So you are uh, associated to an economics department or you are associated to a law department. And at the end, they validate who uh, give you the, the green pass to advance your career, you know? But probably these traditional structures don't know and don't have the elements to prove uh, your contributions in other dimensions a part of the traditional way. So I think that a good way to start is to, we don't need that validation necessarily. I mean, if of course we need that collaboration, we need that effort, but I think that interdisciplinary schools can move uh, on their own path and find their own way. Something interesting that is happening now, for instance, in Colombia is the climate school. They are creating the climate school that is around a specific problem where different people and different backgrounds that can, can contribute, of course, taking advantage of different schools. But I think that they need to find their own dynamics and, and it implies everything, their own hiring process, their own incentives, so you can move forward on that direction. Yeah, Maria, do you want to jump in? That was, that just kicked me off, I have to say, Nico, because I think in Bonn here, I'm part of an excellence cluster that is uh, made for automated phenotyping in agriculture for mainly breeding plants, right? And so you have like this really wide set of different disciplines. You have like, you have, of course, the classical plant breeding people in there. Then you have um, engineering people who are into robotics. You have, but you also have like AI people, like uh, computer science people who do AI stuff. And then you also have like, kind of like the sidekick Sometimes we have the feeling, right? Like the economics um, people in there. As you just said that, right? Like with the metrics, right? Like you then all of a sudden get announcements on terms of like, what is the expectation in terms of publications a year by each group that is part of this cluster in order to stay competitive and get the next grant, right? Like, because the grant is of course not, you don't get a grant for this cluster for all the 14 years and, and hand it at you at once, but you're like, we give you the first five, then we evaluate you and then you can go on to the next one, right? Like, this is at least how, how it works in Germany. And I found that was also for me personally, a slap in the face moment, right? Like when they were like, and this is how much you publish. And I'm just like, 
<laughs> I'm an economist. Like I was at this point where I'm an agricultural economist. Like I have an average of four years pretty much to get a, into a high ranking magazine for a good empirical paper, right? Like the if like the the kinds of stuff, so to say, that I want to publish in order to get that in and get it out, so to say, is is not gonna amortize, so to say, in the time that they target it from their perspective, so to say. And I'm not even saying that I'm not wanna I don't want to say anybody had any bad intentions here, right? It's just like mm-hmm. this you have so many disciplines that you need to kind of like weigh and where you actually should have, I guess, like a dialogue about first, like, so how do we evaluate this in a way, right? That is kind of just so that you don't are by design saying, oh, this discipline is going to be left behind, right? Uh, We need you in order to get the grant because if we don't have anything that's connecting to society in the grant application, (laughs) then we're kind of out, right? Like that's the other other thing, right? Like this is like, oh, we need something that says consumer studies and we need something that (laughs) says adoption in it. Oh my God, all of this technology for agriculture, how do we get it adopted, right? Um, So there are these questions where you're like, okay, we, you know, we need these other disciplines, so to say, Right, at least from the from the plant breeding perspective, I'm t- talking mm-hmm. right now. So you can't do it without them. But then on the other hand, like some of the imposed metrics are just um, from from right, like from the social science side, are then just like we're just like, what the hell, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I feel that a lot. What you you just described, and I have mm-hmm. to say, it's a little bit crushing when you're a PhD also already, right? Um, because mm-hmm. you're you're wondering how do I navigate this? Like how how am yeah. I gonna go about the, all of that? Yeah, and, and and let me respond to that because I think that this is not about the relaxation of the metrics. I think that at this level, all of us are very competitive. I mean, if you are starting a PhD, it's because you are really, you know, engaged with this kind of thing. So it's not about that you want a relaxation of the standards, but you want to be more consequent on the standards that you are, uh, that in the way as you are uh, measured. So for instance, you mentioned the peer review. Sometimes we face that we submit our papers and... Uh, we don't know who is behind that and what is the kind of methods that they value and are valuable methods for them. You know, this is a really, especially if you are working in interdisciplinary teams. So we propose actually in the paper that we mentioned in the comment that we publish in, in Nature Sustainability, that we, uh, or the, the academia and even the editorials should assume a responsibility to facilitate co-reviewing process, you know? So it's not just a question of, okay, you receive this to review and provide comments, but also probably you can have a small discussion with other uh, uh, reviewers, you know, just to have another point of view, right? To see what is valid or what is not. Uh, So make this like more transparent in some way, right? Uh, Of course, there is a lot of structures behind. So what is the incentive for you to be part of this co-reviewing committees or process if the academia is not valued your time invested on this kind of publications or discussions, right? So I think that time and consistency uh, with the metrics is, is important. And and yeah, I think that is not a relaxation. It's, it's, it's just, we need to actually create those metrics. You can think for instance, that how to, how, to me- how to measure how you reach society or how well you communicate with others. So some people can suggest, okay, go to Twitter account and see how many followers. Well, probably not, it's not the best way, right? But, but we need to start to think what, what is the, 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 the best way to do it. Also, we mentioned, for instance, in this comment that a woman face some a bias in, in, in social media, right? So 
So I think that funding these new metrics is a, is a very exciting opportunity for all of us who are interested in, in continuing academic career that is rigorous, that is a high, you know, very competitive in, in top universities and centers. But, but we need to do more, especially if we really want to connect with, with reality at some point. And it doesn't mean that we are saying we need to avoid traditional schools. Those theory and that yeah. theory definitely support many of the work, but equally necessary is translating that, that work. Yeah, thank you. I thought that was a very important point, right? Like we're not asking for a relaxation of, of any any measures, right? Like the only thing is we want to have enough resources available, right, to do rigorous work. I think that I get right, like because that is usually the first first thing you face is this like, oh, you just want to get off easy, right? Like you just want to have an easier time, right? By by asking for different measures. No, we don't. We just want to have more. How do you say like we have the we want to have like not even more but like the appropriate amount of resources available to us to do rigorous work and to so to say not be forced to to like go into a vicious cycle of producing science uh, that is taking you down and down right like we, you want to be in the place where you can say I can invest time in reading and thinking and then have high quality output that will actually benefit the world at one point. So Spinia, I want to hear, um, do you have any response to this or how would you think about kind of shifting this incentive structure away from or, or towards this interdisciplinary future that we're talking about? It's definitely the important point that we need to change the metrics. Also, young scholars are evaluated too because they're in a special, especially risk, yeah, risky position and well, um, in some way. I always have the impression that even if the research is moving forward towards interdisciplinarity and the metrics and like the people that give scholarships, people that give money, funding, that their metrics way like like way behind what like progress is in research as such. So this is basically just what Maria described that you do a cluster and you get funding for it. So everyone thinks it great, it's great, but then the metrics you're evaluated to that one doesn't work because it doesn't fit. And I think maybe the only way is just to have like a better feedback loop into this and like less static structures and more like, you know, I mean, it's not that there's not a metric how to evaluate an economist and how to evaluate an agricultural economist. It's just no one is looking out how to put them together to make like them useful for an interdisciplinary team. I mean, it doesn't make sense to combine lawyers and economists and then to evaluate the lawyers according to the economists' metrics. That doesn't make sense. So there needs to be some, like, you know, collaboration on how to, depending on how the team is structured, just to bring the, the rules together that belong to the different schools of thinking, maybe. Maybe that's the easiest way because they're already there. And of course, it's nice to create something completely new, but maybe the, the start would be just to look at the different, I mean, I talked to Maria and even in agriculture economists, you're evaluated different as a classic, you know, as me as an experimental economist. So maybe it's the first thing to just look at what is there and how you can combine it in a useful way and to start from there to make it better and more applicable. Yeah, I think I really liked both of those statements. Actually, I do have a couple of questions, but before I ask those, I think maybe it would be nice if you guys could. So for me, when I think of metrics, I think of things like your 
citation scores or the journal impact factor or whatever you know it is or the fact that if you want to be seen as a geographer you publish in specific niche journals that are you know geography oriented or something like that but i was just trying to figure out what is it when you understand what is it that you understand when you think of metrics because there seem to be different interpretations of the idea of metrics coming in from this particular discussion itself so maybe with some concrete examples of what we talk when we talk about metrics and how that relates to interdisciplinarity would be one of these things that i just want to pick up on from this particular conversation i mean for me metrics in the beginning is really the traditional stuff what you talked about so citation score is the most important like how many publications you have in which journals that's definitely the most important thing by now I kind of hoped, I mean, also funding, obviously, if you uh, was able to, to get some funding, but that's, as a PhD student, highly unlikely that you'd get that by yourself, you know, with your name on it. What I like is that uh, more and more, there's also like a, a new category on your CV that is kind of outreach in like several di di dimensions and directions. Also like prizes, communication with non-academic world, but to be honest, so until now, this is not valued highly enough, definitely. So if I'm talking about metrics, like that is important for like a, a scholar at the moment, if you try to get a permanent job, it's still the publication score. And I'm like, but even there, there are different evaluations for different fields, like how many evaluations do you need to have? So for an economist, I think if you have a, a good job market paper that is not published, but maybe has a revised and resubmit or is just of a high potential, that is enough. So you don't need a publication to get a postdoc position or maybe even it's more about potential that they want to have about. But there are other fields where you definitely need to publish before you find another job. So even there, because the publication cycles are so different, here the rules are very different about what you need to do the next step. And even if you start evaluating that for different uh, fields, that would already help to get a more, you know, more realistic picture of what people can achieve. Because as an economist, if uh, you tell an economist, hey, and by the end of your PhD, you need to uh, have a publication, most probably it will not be a good one. It will just be a publication, but this pa paper would have had a much more potential if you give him more, one or two more years to grow. And I mean, that's a dynamic that doesn't make sense, right? Yeah, I, I yeah. think that uh, definitely metrics should include traditional uh, products like papers or grants, but equally uh, science-based policy brief or your influence on programs and planning, evidence of successful community engagement, uh, town hall gatherings, uh, uh, socio environmental problem solving experience, uh, leading diverse teams. You know, I think that there are different ways to, to, to start uh, a clear yeah, definition of those metrics. Uh, it's not easy, for sure it's not. Uh, but I think that also if this is something that is uh, that academia and universities want to take seriously, because of the challenge that we face and that we are in front of, we really need this discussion. And not only that, but probably this can be a global initiative or at least a national initiative. And I want to mention, I don't know how familiar are you with the land grant university systems, but in the 19th century, 
they were facing important needs in terms of uh, agriculture advance and security and creating this system in the United States of land grants university that received uh, federal funds and, uh, and, and lands that there are, by the way, some concerns about uh, rights and, and uh, indigenous you know, displacement and, and things like that. But in general, the idea of this uh, program was to uh, create this uh, framework for some universities to focus, for instance, in agriculture and apply things for agriculture. Uh, and Cornell, for instance, is one of, the, of those universities uh, and each state has these universities. But my point is that given these new challenges that we have, these new challenges that we have like climate and, and uh, social inequality and well, different fronts, um, we, we can take opportunity of that to move initiative, similar initiatives at a global scale, you know? And, and, and I think that is happening, but, but, uh, but uh, we need more speed and, and, and more decision on that process. So I also think what is highly important is that just university produce more students that have an interdisciplinary background. Just like if the if you have a threshold, a mass that is big enough to not be ignored anymore, that helps a lot. I, for example, my bachelor was an interdisciplinary degree in philosophy and economics. Over the years, this program, at least in Germany, got some recognition and by now, almost everyone in Germany, if you from like economics, if you tell him I did the special, he was like, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I see. And it was one of the first interdisciplinary programs and that, that just helps. So you just start by producing a crowd of interdisciplinary uh, young scholars. And from this point on, it starts to grow by itself. But because if enough of them are on the market, you can't ignore them anymore. If you just kind of do it as a university or a university system as a grassroots, so to say, uh, thing, then it's, it gets much easier for the individual scholars because for you as a PhD student towards the end of your PhD, there's nothing you can do then just to adjust to the system that is there, right? It's not that you're yeah, changing. Flood the market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, so I'm yeah. going to ask... Um, one closing question before we move to our um, kind of wrap up type questions. And that question is, is there hope? Are, are we seeing a, a transition? Are we seeing a shift? We've talked a lot about the challenges, but we're here. We're all talking together, representing multiple continents and many different disciplines. So let me know, like, do you think there's hope? And Nico, why don't you start? Well, I hope so. <laughs> I think that, no, I think that there is hope. I think that there are a good signals. We need is more decision. I think that you mentioned different things now, uh, for instance, like the, the, the kind of education that we receive, the skills that we need in order to move forward in these collaboration settings. And sometimes uh, academia needs, or not, I think that academia needs to reinforce this kind of, of education. But yeah, I like to think, positive. Uh, I, I think that there are also some grand initiatives that uh, try to consolidate those groups and those collaborations. And uh, I think that interdisciplinary has proved to be, uh, you know, advantage for some of us uh, that uh, find those opportunities. Uh, but still, we need uh, additional progress. Svenja, do you see some hope? Yeah, I also see definitely hope. <laughs> 
I think that in the moment, it, I mean, it's always a kind of like a movement that maybe spreads out and comes together again. So I, I think at the moment we're in this phase of like spreading out, out trying stuff out and maybe some of it will work, some of it will continue. And then there will be some kind of, you know, concentration again, but there will be new interdisciplinary spots in the, the research uh, landscape. And then maybe you have another wave of like, you know, so I, I think, but I think like we are on a good path, but yeah, it, it, it would be nice if it would just be a, like a faster development because I mean, for us, it's kind of too late. If there, <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, if you're here like talking about, you know, young scholars in the interdisciplinary context, the movement will be not fast enough for us. We need to get our positions in the old system. We can then contribute to like, making it better, but it's not, it, I mean, you can't wait for that to come. I love that. I love that we're the hope. We're the ones who will help enact that change. So every, the wave. Um, <laughs> every episode we do, we have a few questions that we like to ask. So Maria, do you want to go ahead and ask our favorite question? Oh yeah. So our favorite question for this feature is, what are your epic fails? And um, <laughs> just feel free for whatever you feel free in sharing here, right? Like, what are your epic fails in this context, right? Like in this job job market, interdisciplinarity context, right? Like, if you if you have a good one for us, please share a good share the anecdote of, of that. I can I can go to any, any specific situation right now, uh, but for sure there have been many many fails in this process. Um, I think that sometimes I speak my mind very loud, depending on the environment, you, you, you need to be more careful of that. But at the same time, I mean, you, you need to try to be consequent with who you are, right? Uh, otherwise, if you try to accommodate to some standards that, uh, once again, we need a job, all of us need a job, right? So we need to, and some way to, to shape to some standards. But I think that if you lose or you neglect what you are, you're not going to be happy on that situation or, or in that work environment. So, yeah, probably I have said a lot of things, too many things and are recorded already. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think that you, you need to take the risk. And But, yeah, let me think if I have another one more concrete and, and happy to share, definitely. I think one of my, I, my first fail maybe was the biggest so far. So the first time, so my very first PhD project after half a year, we made a design. It was an interdisciplinary project. It was actually coming from Costi, my co-author, sitting in the same room with me. So we have shared rooms like a lawyer and economist. And we started a project together for his dissertation. And it was about constitutional law. And I presented this project at a PhD, small PhD conference at another university. And we presented, obviously presented that design before in, in our own institute. And that was always, yeah, constitutional laws don't have, they are not uh, enforced because, you know, even police is like below the constitution. So they are not in, uh, enforced, but they kind of induce a hierarchy because um, some take advantage of a law and others are disadvantaged. And that was it. That was one sentence. And then you start with the research project. And I said, like, these two sentences in a room full of economists. And I don't exactly what happened then. I had, saw a lot of like, very confused faces. 
And then somehow I lost the situation. So I lost control of it. But it ended up with my my co-author, who was also in the room, the lawyer screaming at economists, like really professors for like 10 minutes, like, no, but this is not true. You can't enforce it. And economists like, but it's a rule, so you can enforce it. So it's really no one like I was really so okay. <laughs> I just like leave out the interdisciplinary part next time I present that uh, in an economist room. And I really, I, I really like at some point I really thought I will ne never ever make it like <laughs> to slide two <laughs> because no one like every, every lawyer in the room was, oh yeah, that's fine. And every economist in the room was like, no, that's not true. That can't be because they just like, you know, they, <laughs> They just don't know some basics about law that everyone like before, like in the in, at the institute at home was kind of totally yeah that's obvious go on and here like it completely exploded so and it was my very first presentation and I said I'm not, never ever going to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, that reminds me so much of of my very first publication, which pretty much, so this is the first time I'm ever publishing in a journal. And the first thing that happened to me was uh, it being circulated across all the practice-oriented NGOs and civil society kind of organizations. And then I'm copied on a whole list of these people who are influential in the field that I do with the note that this paper does not meet our standards. <laughs> and I'm like, because it does not address our perspectives. And I'm like, Okay, what have I just done, you know? <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks so much, Svenja. I mean, that is really entertaining. Uh, and uh, Nico as well. I just have one last question pretty much before we wrap up the session. So listening to both of you speak, I think there was something that struck me from my own experiences also. The fact that we all seem to have had mentors who've told us different ways of strategizing, uh, different ways of approaching our topic, different ways of engaging with what we do or showing passion or strategizing while showing passion, so to speak, um, you know, in, in, uh, in whatever we do. So maybe I think the last question that I really have for both of you is what is this one piece of advice that you would, uh, you know, you it, it has stayed with you throughout your careers that a mentor has told you about doing this kind of research. And would you be willing to share that with people who are going to be listening, maybe taking back some advice from this particular podcast? And yes, of course, that was my cat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think Hira, you are nailing to the point because mentors are, I mean, are critical on, on that aspect. And um, uh, to be honest, I feel that I have been very lucky having mentors who appreciate. Uh, it doesn't mean that the, the relationship has been always romantic, you know. It takes time <laughs> sometimes to, to understand different speeds, but I think that all of them have been very respectful and appreciated of different point of views, and, 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 and having mentors is, is important. Otherwise, it's not, there's no way to advance. Actually, I, I always, when people is asking me about what is the a good advice before starting a PhD or or these kind of programs, I think that it doesn't matter what is the university, the you know the ranking. Having good mentors that support uh, your initiatives and your curiosity is critical. So, and even when those mentors are not uh, completely or one hundred percent agree with what you are doing, because probably it's part of their roles. 
uh, I think that you can uh, find those spaces when you at some point can prove that the way as you are thinking contribute in some way, you know? And, but it's, again, it's, it's part of those kind of skills of negotiation that you, you never learn and only on, once you are facing those situations and probably universities can do a better job supporting these kind of interactions and, and relationships between mentors and mentees uh, to facilitate that process. Definitely what Nicola said that mentoring is crucial and support is crucial. And I think that's the most, I mean, to have someone who just lets you play in the beginning and waits until something comes out. That was, I think the most important part for me. So, I mean, so for the project I talked about before with this epic fail, I mean, we were like a lawyer in the first year of a PhD and an economist in the first year of PhD. And we just got the money to try out the experiment and it, did, it didn't really work. Then we just got another bunch of money and our mentor said, yeah, just do it again. It's hard because actually the best pieces of advice I got from the same person in completely different directions. So the same person that said to me, don't frame yourself as law and economics and try to, you know, keep your identity as an economist to be able to navigate that market, said also on this project after this presentation, don't give up on the law story. Just try, don't give up yet. If anyone can make it, you can make it. So maybe it's this keeping your identity and also seeing what works, but not giving up too early because also the early phase of your PhD, that's a phase where you can just try out stuff and, you know, you still can work on it and improve it. And, you know, after, if after five years, the law story doesn't work, then you can get rid of it, but don't do it. Don't give up too early. So that was kind of those two advices are still in my head if I think about it. Actually, Svenja, I love your example because it's like I, I face the same thing. You know, are, are those mentors that stretch the thing, but not too, you know, not too tight. It's like they want to give you some space because, but they understand what is their reality and what people is expecting from you. So, uh, but hopefully we can stretch a little bit more if we have the institutional tools to do it, you know, and, and the support from, from the universities to do it. So I think that... Uh, we are all sharing the same uh, common concerns and, 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 and situations. So I'm not, I'm not surprised you have this kind of mentors because it was the same situation for me. You know, if they, they want good for you, they know what are the rules that you are facing, but at the same time, in some way, try to push and move forward to a, a new dynamic. Awesome. Amazing advice to end on. And what a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Svenja. Thank you, Nico. I love this kind of arc that we've taken this on where it's interdisciplinarity is really pushing the boundaries of how research is done and kind of changing things. But we also have to be conscious of the context that we're working in and kind of these, both of you have used these like expansion and contraction or waves um, and like kind of iterative ways to talk about the way that this change is going to occur. Um, but you've both given us hope that we, um, as interdisciplinary scientists are going to, to make this a, a a new world for the next generation of interdisciplinary scientists. So thank you for sharing your stories, your experiences, everything. We loved having you on this podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks to you guys. Thank you. Thank you as well.
Navigating Interdisciplinarity podcast series is brought to you by a working group belonging to the Early Career Network of the International Association for the Study of the Commons. We are the IAC ECN. For more information on our activities and to join our vibrant network, do check us out at iac-commons.org. Thank you all and see you the next time. Mm -hmm.